Hi, listeners. It's Dan Evanson, your host. Uh, this week we got something a little different. Um, another interview. Uh, this week it's with Rodrigo Lopez. Uh, Rodrigo is a author and producer, podcaster, and storyteller. Uh, he's most notable for his hosting of uh, and dungeon mastering of the Critical Hit podcast on the Major Spoilers Network. But he's also got a really great middle grade uh, book available on Amazon right now called Tallest Rabbit. So please check that out. Uh, you can find a link to his Amazon stuff on uh, the description of this podcast. But uh, I also encourage you to check out Critical Hit. It's a great D&D Let's Play, one of the longest running and really just an excellent, fun game to listen to. I, I've been a fan for it for years and years. But let's play the intro music and get into our interview with Rodrigo Lopez. Back in the 90s, everything was better and somehow worse all at once. It was a time of darkness. It was a world of fear. It was the age of Saturday morning cartoons. School by day. Homework by night, we were betrayed by the boomers we had sworn to protect. Frozen in student loan debt for a thousand years. Now on the internet, the shows of old return, and we live again. We are defenders of what came before. We are Nostalgia Plus. So, Rodrigo, um, it's really great to talk to you. I have been a big fan of Critical Hit since its inception. Um, and you and I have had a chance to discuss uh, a long time ago. Uh, 2013 was a long time ago, it feels yeah. like. Uh, but um, you're kind of like very interesting career path, which I feel like has gotten perhaps even more interesting uh, those many years hence. Um but uh, what inspired this conversation was uh, you recently kind of wrapped up one big creative endeavor, which was the the D and D live play um, game, which was called the Void Saga on uh, the Major Spoilers Network. And um, in the kind of wrap up for that show, you said you know Gargoyles was was kind of one of your your inspiration for that. So I'm wondering inspiration wise where does gargoyles kind of fall for you in you know the 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 ranking of inspiration in your in in kind of all your creative endeavors not just the the D D stuff gargoyles ranks pretty high for me um it was you know when gargoyles came out i was like 11 or 12 or something um mm -hmm. and so uh, this was a show for kids that had some pretty complex kind of story um, structure. Um, there were recurring characters. Uh, characters changed and evolved throughout it, often physically, which, again, for a kid who's used to watching, you know, cartoons where the characters wear literally the same clothes every day. <laughs> not that not that Elisa ever changes her clothes except for, like, two episodes. But, you know... 
basically seeing characters show up and now they're a cyborg because you know that things have been happening in their storyline um, as well as, you know, actual repercussions for things that the characters are doing. Um, and uh, also how to, like, how to retcon things uh, in a in a way that still helps the story and doesn't seem cheap. You know, the it's it's pretty clear to me that the whole idea of like, for example, such an important thing, what becomes such an important thing in Gargoyles, which is Oberon's children, was not part of the original pitch, was not part of the original idea. And as the, I think as the show fails to get canceled, um, <laughs> the writers are like, yeah, let's like introduce this whole thing. And as a kid, it felt very natural. Um, going back and watching it now, you can tell the episode when they're like, okay, we have to start setting this stuff up if we're going to tell these stories. And again, it feels natural, just more aware of it because I was specifically looking for it. So there's a lot of kind of really structural things about Gargoyles that I had never seen media do before because I was a kid and, you know, more complex narratives were kind of, more complex serialized narratives were not something I was watching, right? It's like I wasn't watching Twin Peaks or anything like that. Yeah, there um, weren't a lot of opportunities to watch long-form narrative in that, and, in that time. Yeah, and I, uh, and probably a lot of your listeners, grew up in the, uh, like, 80s animation ghetto, right? It's just, like, when <laughs> cartoons were meant to sell toys that were mega cheap, um, and anything that wasn't coming from Japan probably had an absolute shoestring budget. So Gargoyles, and, you know, to Western, obviously, uh, it's kind of its... Uh, counterpart the you know the batman uh tv show uh batman the animated series you know those were kind of the first time that i was like wow these are like quality cartoons that are actually doing storyline and batman was a known quantity of gargoyles is was very fresh in terms of like you know the things it was offering even as it pulled from things that we that we kind of already knew like like batman the animated series right so, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a trip of a show for sure. I mean, do you feel like was was the weirdness of Gargoyles the first time? Because, I mean, you're right that like people, people, people make uh, interesting choices with their bodies in the show. Right. Uh, was that kind of your first exposure to that kind of uh, genre material, I guess? Probably not. I, I watch a lot of cartoons and I watch a lot of Japanese cartoons uh, because um in the united states uh i feel that anime is pretty throttled like you there's a handful of production houses and what you get in the united states is pretty limited and especially now it's limited by streaming but even back in those days uh you know you got like dragon ball z you got like um yeah pretty much just dragon ball z when we were growing up mm -hmm. and um and but in mexico Moon. yeah we got pretty much everything everything was coming through you know i used to watch like saint seiya and i used to watch this like yeah. one that i don't think it ever got translated into english but in spanish it was called like space sagittarius or whatever they're just like all of these like <laughs> really weird shows and they were they were super weird so i got a lot of that from there so gargoyles what gargoyles does well is that it starts out i mean it starts out with gargoyles but it starts out kind of 
low tech, low magic, and very gently keeps sloping it up to the point where, yeah, eventually it's like, oh, here's all of our characters in this magic boat visiting different places. I wonder what sort of weird thing they're going to run, run into. And it feels like a natural progression from, you know, Bronx, or not Bronx, but uh, um, Broadway accidentally shooting Elisa with a very real firearm. Yeah. 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 One of the great advantages of the show is how it can mix the mundane and the magical. Uh, and I think, you know, that's definitely apparent in the, the creative stuff that you've worked on that even though there's something, you know, totally fantastical happening, you often include kind of mundane attributes to it. Um, can you kind of talk about like why, you know, you, you tend to, to do that kind of stuff? Like bureaucracy is a, is a common, uh, thing that comes up in, uh, the void saga. In the void saga. And, uh, if, uh, anybody's had a chance to read my book, the tale of tallest rabbit, um, characters often run up against bureaucracies. Uh, and that's because I think this one of the scariest things in the real world is bureaucracy, right? If you've ever, um, if you've ever watched Brazil or just ever, you know, had to absolutely get some paperwork done, if you've ever had to like get a passport because you have to travel at a certain <laughs> moment, um, this idea of like showing up someplace and being like, I got all my stuff, and them looking through it and be like, actually, you don't. So all of your plans are ruined. Goodbye forever. <laughs> Um, uh, bureaucracies are very scary because they're faceless, you know, just like a bunch of different people around and, uh, it's, they're also fascinating and having characters that are daunted by bureaucracies and also having characters that are bureaucrats, um, allows us access to, to the very scary world of like very mundane bureaucracies, right? And if you think about sort of um, mythologies and religions, you know, there's the the idea of the celestial bureaucracy, right? In some Chinese lore mm -hmm. and uh, the lore of other Asian countries where even the gods have this like paperwork fueled world and everything's very transactional and it allows for a different... Like it sort of explains in a way why um, why prayers even matter, why all of these <laughs> things are a thing. It's because there's a certain amount that needs to happen and it all needs to be stamped and everything. So, yeah, uh, I think there's lots of stuff in the real world that are that is like compelling or horrifying. It's like uh, especially to like a kid or something like falling and skinning your knee can seem apocalyptic. And mm -hmm. sometimes injecting that mundane aspect into a narrative brings that back for us and kind of creates this bridge or is like, yeah, it's like, okay, so this story with like gods and monsters and all these weird creatures, but I know what it's like to be in line at the DMV. Um, <laughs> so when the characters find themselves in a situation like that, it really grounds it. Yeah. And you know, a very American idea of heroism is often the person that can, you know, circumvent or step outside of those rules. Uh, you know, the extrajudicial hero sure. is very common. Yeah. And I, I, 
you know, the something that can be very terrifying to that is is the yeah, the bureaucracy you can't escape from or, you know, ba Batman doesn't have to do deal with taxes. Right. right. Probably. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, not as Batman, certainly. Sure. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, that's also why I find it so compelling, because Western narratives, uh, like you said, are explicitly written to avoid bureaucracy and sort of uh, systems of authority. Um, just like, you know, Batman doesn't have to report to the police. He works with the police, but if the police are like, hey, Batman, don't do that, he still goes and does it because he's Batman, right? And he doesn't care. Um, same thing with, um, you know, something like, uh, well, like the Manhattan clan or like the Thundercats or whatever, where they're like these exiles that exist outside of society, um, or there might be no structured society around them. So they just kind of do what they think is right. Um, so uh, creating a narrative where the players can't do that or where the characters can't do that and they kind of have to play ball and where you might have, you know, you might actually have a hero bureaucrat that helps them navigate that is something that you don't see very often, but I find mm -hmm. kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot about, uh, the, the cultural impact of, of, uh, gargoyles, you know, and mostly like it's kind of lack of impact, actually the la lack of long-term, sure. um, impact because, you know, in some of the other interviews I've done, people have felt very strongly about Elisa Maza, especially because she is, you know, a singular character out of this time because, you know, she is biracial. Um, and, uh, you know, you actually get to experience time in the cultures that, that sort of combined, uh, in her family, uh, at least for like, at least an episode, um, sure. for each of those sides. I, were you cognizant of that at all as a kid watching the show? Not really. Um, I wasn't, you know, I was I was in it for the monsters and the lasers when mm -hmm. I first bought into it. Um, but Elisa is a very compelling character, and she always felt uh, very capable. Which is like when I think of like your like sort of like Witwicky family or other sort of like non-powered sidekick characters. Um, Elisa doesn't feel like a sidekick; she feels like a main character. And you know, there's things that she can do. She can hold her own in a fight. She's clever and everything. So I didn't realize what impact that had of having, yeah, a person of color, a woman in this situation. Um, and uh, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until much, much later that I was like, oh, wow, it's like really amazing that this lady isn't actually, you, you know, uh, Elisa's partner, Matt, right? Mm -hmm, Bluestone, um, right? Yeah. So I'm sometimes I just sit there and I'm like, it's amazing that they didn't just flip those characters. They were like, no, no, <laughs> this lady would shriek and pass out and have her period. So let's just have Matt come in and he'll be the main character, right? So it's it's actually like it's great that they got this through Disney, uh, through the Disney bureaucracy and and onto the onto the screen. Yeah, especially that it's Disney. The the sort of house of of uh you know the the kind of vanilla 
takes yeah. on, on a lot of things. And, well, it also shows you where Disney was at the time. Disney, uh, from what I understand, was desperate to tap into that boy market. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, this idea of like a kick-butt police chick um, really probably appealed to that as well. It's like, yeah, we can sell 20 Goliath toys and one Elisa toy. And then, <laughs> you know, that'll be, that'll be great. Just like, you know, you could, um, there was only one or two versions of Tila and one of two versions of Chitara, but you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, uh, have you rewatched the show recently? I've, I've rewatched some of it. Uh, my wife is, um, she's interested in it. And every once in a while, she has this urge to watch it. We just watched the um, City of Stone, like, four-parter, mm -hmm. because I tricked her. I was like, <laughs> let's watch an episode of Gargoyles. And it was the first episode of that. And, um, you know, obviously, there's <laughs> three cliffhangers. <laughs> so we ended up watching the whole thing over a period of two days. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I've been I've been watching it again. Uh, I kind of hopped ahead to watch some of the uh, Avalon stuff and, and rewatch it because I didn't quite remember how it all played out. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been I haven't I haven't sat down sat down for like a full binge rewatch, but I've been watching it again now that it's on Disney Plus. Yeah, the premise of our show is I I took friends of mine from a different podcast and started making them watch gargles and none of them had seen it before um so i mean how's that experience been with your wife uh is it is it a positive one rewatching the show so far yeah i i think you know obviously she's a she's uh she's an adult so when i was a kid watching gargoyles i was always kind of amazed at how good it was again maybe not even being able to express it, but so many of the cartoons that I was watching just weren't very good. Um, so it's nice to see her echo that because, uh, for example, my wife doesn't watch action movies. She gets bored during action sequences. And mm. uh, again, in the City of Stone thing, it's like Goliath and like the Hunter and like maybe um, the, the like Todd, I think that's the name, like the Knight. Um, or Tom, and um, there's just like a big old fight in the rooftops, and she's watching, and she's like, wow, that was actually pretty good. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like a castle siege in that, and she's like, this is like, you know, this is like watching Helm's Deep, except, you know, a little smaller and animated. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, these guys know how to pace things really well because they have to keep the attention of little babies. You know, it's like action <laughs> movies for men um have boring action sequences a lot of the time because they're like let's show off how good matt damon can punch a guy for 20 minutes and try to sustain that and you know i think my wife gets bored and honestly i get bored a lot of the time um but something that has to be like quick and punchy and be like kids need to be able to follow this while still kind of pushing the boundaries of that, you know, it's like gargoyles did that constantly and consistently. So it sounds like you haven't watched a lot of the, uh, the quote unquote world tour from season two. I haven't, I haven't rewatched them, but I saw all of them back in the day. Um, 
So it's it it has been a while, so I might be a little rusty. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's a we we are we are <laughs> in the quagmire of the world tour. It is, um, you know, it's yeah. one of those things where the show was obviously trying to expand uh, right. in certain ways. They wanted to do some spinoffs, it seems like, and also, uh, I don't know, the, the, that's kind of where the show's production troubles kind of got started, but. Um, it's also where I think Gargoyles is kind of most problematic, uh, because it starts to deal with other cultures and, sure. um, it can be kind of a tough thing. I know you've been, um, no, you haven't been, you know, subtle about your, uh, I don't want to call them complaints, critiques of D and D and kind of other, other things that, uh, that, uh, also, you know, come from that era and uh, don't quite live up to our memory of them um, and certainly could be improved. Uh, I, mean, I mean, what is your take on, on trying to use those things, you know, now to, to in your creative endeavors? I mean, so gargoyles, I always felt came at mythology from a, mostly respectful plays. I don't think that, you know, when um, when like Elisa and Goliath show up in the Pacific Northwest or in the like uh, or in like Guatemala or wherever they end up um, dealing with like the Mayan gargoyles, mm -hmm. I, I never felt like it always felt cool. Like, hey, look at this magic from a different culture. It's cool within this gargoyles rubric, right? If you get into like, well, maybe these characters that they're representing wouldn't act this way. I don't know. I don't know as much about that. And, you know, that criticism would be valid. I think that gargoyles really always wanted to put something good on screen. And often what made it good was them actually looking for that diversity in stories for them to... You know, once they burnt out, uh, like, God's mythology and started getting into, like, uh, you know, uh, basically half Shakespeare, half world mythology, um, it kind of created an interesting mix. Um, I, I really honestly, you know, it's like most of the times when they get someplace and it's like, here are some Native Americans, here are some, uh, like, you know, uh, indigenous, you know, quote-unquote indigenous, like gargoyles, um, they play the the aspect of, you know, somebody who's been colonized as the good guys and as someone who does have a plight, as someone who needs to fight off a logging company, as someone who needs to, like, replenish their land, which has probably not been, like, their fault that the land has died, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So as far as that, I've always, I, I, I feel that Gargoyles actually has done that pretty well. Um, really, honestly, if you look at world events today, the most insidious thing about Gargoyles is, is the propaganda, right? You just never see a, or almost never see, but I think never see like a corrupt police officer, right? It's like one of our main characters is a police officer and there's no, not ever any sort of, um, treatment of that and you know that's not what the show was going for and that's not what um 
what the show is about. And back in those days, you weren't ever going to see that. But, you know, Mm -hmm. these things are coming back up now. And, you know, when you look at the broad spectrum of, you know, something like Gargoyle, something like Batman, the Spider-Man TV show, um, and you you see what relationships these characters have with um, the police, uh, you can you can see, you know, aside from some outliers, um, that generally speaking, where that trend is and why we today have such a difficult time grasping this idea that maybe there is widespread corruption, maybe pumping more money into a police department isn't helpful. Um, And it's Mm -hmm. because we have never not had narratives where most cops are good and maybe you have like one bad cop, right? Whereas um, in reality, the mix on any given, in any given department is probably not that great just because of how the institutions themselves function and what their function is as far as uh, the citizenry. Um, And so that's, that honestly, I think that's the thing that holds up the least about gargoyles. Um, Whereas, you know, it's, it's treatment of like other mythologies is like you expect that they're going to, you know, kind of fudge some stuff as long as they don't mischaracterize uh, a, a God or a character too bad. It's, you know, generally okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The villains of gargoyles, um, you know, the power that they wield is very often just money. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. not structural power, you know, necessarily, you know, Xanatos is not a politician. He, he's just a rich guy. Yep. And that, that in and of itself was rare. Aside from Lex Luthor, you very rarely see a bad guy who is just smart and rich, right? Mm-hmm. Very often characters go up against um, like mentally deranged character, like that's that's Batman's jam, right? right? It's like Batman going around <laughs> hitting people who have some sort of untreated psychosis. Um, but uh, yeah, Xanatos, especially Xanatos, is somebody who is always pulling the strings politically, monetarily. Um, you know, very often at the end of the show, he's shown to have been behind whatever was messing with the gargoyles and yeah he other than being smart and rich he you know doesn't have any superpowers i guess other than being infinitely rich because you know he's like i'm gonna gonna build a fleet of robots oh well they blew up i guess i'll just build another fleet of robots (laughs) um yeah he even operates within the law you know he goes to jail like in the first five episodes and just hangs out in jail for a while because yeah, if His you talk life doesn't about, change that much. <laughs> yeah, talking about what could be insidious about gargoyles, you also have to talk about what is sort of revolutionary and um, what I want to say, what I want to say, like transgressive uh, about gargoyles and the episodes where Xanatos goes to jail. Right, it's like when Batman beats someone up and or or Spider Man and they hang him up from a lamppost. That's it. That's the end of that guy's story until they break out of jail. But Xanatos goes to jail, gets out of and gets out of jail quickly because he's rich, because he Mm -hmm. operates within the system that completely 100 percent benefits him as a rich bastard. Um, And so as a kid, you get to see that you're like, well, why didn't he get put in jail longer? And it's like, well, Timmy, it's because the system is geared towards helping people like this (laughs) while also victimizing people that don't look like him. 
Um, so that, 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 that always felt good about gargoyles. And it honestly, again, really holds up anytime you see Xanatos like squeak by on a technicality or whatever, or not even get in trouble at all. Like basically pin it on someone else. It's like, yeah, aside from all the lasers and the explosions, this is pretty much what happens in real life. Thanks gargoyles. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I guess I never really thought about that before the, the nature of the of, of who who are the bad guys in those shows uh i think there there is even an episode of batman the animated series where like the mayor is corrupt and he actually uh -huh. figures out that the mayor is corrupt and that's why the mayor is being targeted and then the mayor just keeps on being the mayor <laughs> yeah because the real bad guy was the you know the guy who was obsessed with time pieces or something and yeah drop an yeah. elevator on him yeah which, yeah, which goes to show where, where Batman's priorities are, right? It's like, Batman can't make a critique about rich people getting away with stuff on account of his protagonist being a rich person getting away with stuff. <laughs> At least it wouldn't feel genuine, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you'd need, you'd need some sort of secondary character to be like, what are you even doing? <laughs> right. Batman. And, and no. you don't want to throw that in because it you know causes problems for the narrative just the other day i was talking to someone about an episode of lost you ever watch lost sure yeah so in this episode it's like you always have like jack and sawyer and uh the wasp and they're like hanging out and like solving mysteries and going on adventures and all of a sudden they introduce these characters who have been in the background right because there are like a hundred people stranded on the beach in the first season um, and they're like, you three guys are always going off on things and not telling us about it. And it's like, it's funny and it's interesting to introduce these characters, but also it makes your main characters seem like total jerks. It's like, yeah, wait, you're, you're telling me that like your main character who's a doctor and all like, oh, do no harm. And like, so like moral doesn't just hold regular meetings where he explains what the F is going on with the island. That's <laughs> terrible. That's really terrible. Now I don't like these characters. So you always run that risk of like when you trying to put a lampshade on things, uh, actually making your characters uh, that much, like somewhat unappealing. Well, and it's, and it's also about characters operating in the context of the world they're in right not forgetting that there is a whole world there that exists outside of your plot gargoyles i think does a pretty good job of of reminding us of that every once in a while yeah um, and it and it does that really well through again character evolution right mm -hmm. um you know there are huge flashback episodes where they just show you what happened and um, a lot of the time, I'm like, I wish somebody was telling this story instead of just having a big old flashback. Um, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. But, you know, again, it's like characters continue to change. Characters continue to grow, even when they're not on screen, right? Um, you can really... It's like you have a Fox and Xanatos episode, and you don't have another Fox and Xanatos episode for a while... But when you see them again, their relationship has continued to move and they're talking about having a baby or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and um, it, like, you can see it feels like the characters have lives outside of the, the main action of the show, right? Like, 
um, nobody, nobody takes like um, Dr. Savarius and like sticks him in a cubby until they need him again. The next time you meet him, he's already up to no good. He's gone somewhere else. He's using somebody else's money. Things have been happening in the background. Yeah, he's trying to train the Loch Ness monster. Yeah, yeah. he's you know, I was like, obviously, take a step back from most cartoons, and they sound totally ridiculous. It's like <laughs> he's been using this Loch Ness monster submarine to trap two Loch Ness monsters. Yeah, <laughs> all, right. all right, man. Uh, so. Uh, I know you've done some rewatching, but do you have a favorite episode? Um, or one that I, just really you think yeah. about all the time? Yeah, definitely. Um, probably the episode that I think about most, and again, one that was formative, is um, I, it's like Vows, maybe? It's that first uh, Phoenix Gate episode. Mm-hmm. Um, for several reasons. One, it really fleshes out the Goliath-Demona relationship. Um, and it has time travel. But also, that was the first time as a kid that I ever saw like that sort of like uh, like stable loop time travel. Where mm-hmm. you, you can't change time because you already did it, right? It's like whatever happened has already happened and is basically destined... To continue to happen in a loop um and as a as a kid i was like what because most time travel <laughs> narratives are like you travel to the past and screwed something up or you things are bad so you have to travel to the past to fix them often time travelers from the future showing up uh like bishop from x-men for example to be like i need to change something or the future is gonna suck um, <laughs> and the idea that that time is mutable, but this idea of like a stable thing where like everything has already happened because it will happen because it has already happened is really strong in a narrative and in a closed narrative, like your, you know, 12 monkeys or whatever. Um, but I guess spoiler alert for 12 monkeys. Um, I, it's, used multiple times in gargoyles really well and the reason why most uh shows don't use it is because it's difficult it's difficult to make something compelling to make compelling time travel out of something that um it is stable and can't be changed right it's like how do you write a compelling story it's like well gargoyles writes three or four episodes using the phoenix gate that have that stable time travel that are still compelling um and that's kind of again another formative thing for me of being like wow you can take the 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 option that seems less good less less interesting less entertaining and make something good out of it and not only will it be good if you actually put in the work and do it but also it'll stand out so much more because it's not doing the easy thing that everybody else is doing so yeah, I think about that that episode a lot. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of the things I I distinctly remember as a kid was trying to wrap my brain around the idea that the time travel was possible, but what was what what was really happening was that the characters often would experience something in the present and then find out they themselves were responsible for causing it in the past. Right, right. Uh, and often they would discover that in the process of being responsible for it. Uh, and 
that sort of, uh, you know, free will is obviously still a thing there. It's just that you're, you're experiencing the consequences of your actions in, in your own timeline before you've actually made the choices that took the place. And that's sort of like, uh, what's the word? Uh, deterministic right. aspect of the, of the, of the universe it was super yeah very interesting to me as a kid i i'm sure it you know just contributed to me being a weirdo because i wanted to use words like deterministic at 13 but uh, sure yeah. i mean uh, you know so again i wrote a book for kids and that book has some big concepts it has some big words and it's like I, you know, maybe that's another thing that was formative about Gargoyles is that it was, you know, simple enough for a kid to follow. And especially now watching the show again, like characters will just repeat things. They're like, hey, it's that person, that person that had that laser that did this. Oh, the laser that did this? Yes, the laser. <laughs> you know, so it's like, because I want little kids to be able to follow it. Sure. But also, in a lot of ways, it didn't pull any punches. It yeah. wanted to tell a story about time travel. And it tells a story about time travel it has characters with complicated moralities it has characters it has bad guys that aren't all bad it has good guys that you know maybe have strayed from the path um it mm -hmm. has secret societies and magic and technology and actually a stated relationship between magic and technology which is so rare um and, you know, it's like this show was just kind of in a lot of ways operating in, you know, at maximum efficiency for the majority of its lifetime and really just getting all of these cool sci-fi and fantasy concepts out there. Um, and it seems that only like 20% of people that were around for that remember it or even ever watched it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shout out to sci-fantasy. Like my life, I'm, my lifelong love of of mixing science fiction and fantasy definitely started yeah. with gargoyles. Yeah. You know, I think my favorite episode and we just watched this one recently is grief, which is the, uh, the episode that happens in Egypt where there's an Amir and he is trying to like summon the God of death to revive his, his son who died uh, kind of as a child. And, uh, and then ultimately like one of the pack, uh, I think it's Jack well, it's Jackal because obviously Anubis is a jackal headed right. deity. Uh, you know, like that episode is first of all totally bonkers because people are up there merging with Anubis and becoming avatars of a death god, uh, which right. was something I was not prepared for as a child. But you know, it has frank conversations about the the meaning of death, you know, like death mm -hmm. is a normal part of the wor world like it's not something that can be fought it's not something that um you know you should necessarily struggle against and in fact should learn to accept and yeah. that's like no i don't think there was any any media at all at the time that ever touched on concepts like that and i know you know i think time travel and you know people living with their their choices i think that's like one of the important parts of gargoyles time travel is explaining about choice and that choices are still being made even though they seem deterministic and and 
the characters struggle with it, but ultimately they accept their responsibility in, in those guys, at least the good guys do. Um, and even though there's like bad guys out there using it for uh, financial gain, where, you know, Xanatos is out there giving himself uh, pennies from the past. Um, but, but whenever it touches on like a big concept like that, you know, it was, it was always doing it in a way that like, uh, I, I just, just nobody else was doing. I mean, DuckTales what? doesn't talk about <laughs> death. No, right? I, it's, it's funny that you bring up DuckTales because I was thinking about it and like DuckTales had a very kind of Scooby-Doo type situation where often the supernatural stuff turns out to not be supernatural stuff, or even if it is, it's pretty mild. Um, but yeah, DuckTales is a good example of sort of that old school, like the kids aren't going to get this sort of storytelling. It's not bad. It was, you know, perfectly fine, but it returns you to the status quo every episode. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't really advance things. Um not, not, not to get into too many of the problematic aspects of DuckTales, but also it doesn't have uh, definitely the Uncle Scrooge legacy of uh, comics and stories. Doesn't always have the best uh, treatment of um, marginalized societies. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you look at its contemporaries as like a lot of this stuff, you know, the Batman animated series wasn't doing. A lot of this stuff, uh, the Fox Kids X-Men wasn't doing um, DuckTales, uh, Darkwing Duck, you know, a lot of, a lot of those other shows. And you know, I was like, I, I feel like Goof Troop wasn't living up to its potential, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> not till the movie. Yeah. Not till a goofy movie. And then it kind of busted it out of the park. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, most of the TV at that, I, I would say probably all of TV at that time was focused on, Enter entertainment as distraction right it was right. not there to say something in in yeah. a, a broad a broad generalization on the television in the 90s but um for the most part you know it's what really made gargoyles special and even you know today i think we're seeing a lot of influence from gargoyles maybe not explicitly but um i think one of those is uh dealing with complex things and having those complex things have lasting impact uh, on the show. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know who's, um, what everybody's influences are. Right. But you watch shows nowadays, like Steven universe, like Shira, um, like Voltron legendary defender. And mm -hmm. a lot of these shows have these unfolding complex storylines that, were really not a thing in kids' entertainment before Gargoyles. You know, it was, well, you know, unless you count like Tintin comics or whatever. Um, comics have had always been doing this, right? These like long form uh, continuity relevant stories. Uh, but you didn't see those on TV very often. You do now. And I think part of the reason, even if it wasn't a direct influence to whoever's making them, is because Gargoyles. Uh, really tested the waters for whether kids would be able to do that. And since, you know, they have a an incredibly loyal and rabid fan base now, um, I think they were successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even comics. Comics is one of those things where, like, if you read it long enough, it will reset on you. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> but TV TV has to end at some point, you know. Well, uh, Gargoyles kind of uh, set us up for that too, with you know the Goliath Chronicles, new writer team, <laughs> new ideas, and it's like I uh, my schedule had changed drastically when uh, the Goliath Chronicles came out, so I have seen maybe like two episodes from what is it like season three? Yeah, it's bad top to bottom, but yeah. Yeah, so I I can't really pass judgment on it because I watched very little of it. And it wasn't because I was holding my nose at it. I was very excited to get new Gargoyles episodes. I just, mm-hmm. you know, my schedule just didn't work out. I think I was, I forget when it was airing. I think it was like a Saturday morning thing. It moved to Saturday mornings. Yeah. yeah. And so I actually never really got to watch a lot of Saturday morning cartoons. It was mostly afternoon cartoons that I could watch. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you. this is something that happens in comics all the time. The powers that be are like, okay, creative team that developed and created these characters, these beloved characters, you're out of here. You know, it's like, here's a new team. And it's like, it's almost, you know, people will malign the new team, but it's almost like terrible for them to be like, okay, how do we like step into this universe and keep this level of quality and this type of storytelling and whatever while also doing our own thing? And honestly, they were kind of set up to fail. Um, and, you know, people ended up really not liking it. And that was kind of the end of Gargoyles. You know, there were some <laughs> yeah. comics, but uh, especially now that Marvel has captured that much coveted boy market, um, with uh by just buying marvel uh it you know you think about it and you're like well what is when is gargoyles ever gonna be a thing when is it ever coming back and it's like well we don't know because a giant conglomerate owns it and they don't (laughs) have a need for it it's not that people today don't need more gargoyles it's that the company doesn't need to put out more gargoyles yeah, I mean, it was a weird show at the time. It continues to be weird. It's it's not it's not going to ever be anyone's first choice, probably over at Disney for filling a slot. But that's a shame because it's a great show. I mean, you never know. Eventually, uh, enough people within the structure might get a good idea for it, or they might get a bad idea for it. That's the thing. Is like it also <laughs> doesn't take a good idea to to do things. You know, people were pretty upset about. Um, the Thundercats show, the new Thundercats show, mm-hmm. uh, which is all like springy and springy and, you know, much more cartoony. Um, and vastly superior. <laughs> <laughs> the original Thundercats show was pretty bad. I've gone back yeah, to watch it and so it's like, bad. man, this is so bad. <laughs> and it's it's sad because I loved it as a kid, but I can't watch it. I can't like I've had opportunities to be like, oh, man, Thundercats is on like some streaming or like somebody has the DVDs and watching it and we're like, oh my God, how as a kid did I, was I into this? <laughs> um, I but, remember hurting myself getting up early enough to watch Thundercats. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thundercats was a big deal for me. Um, yeah. It's so strange because that, you know, that show, the original Thundercats, the original Voltron in my brain, they share a lot of the same space with gargoyles in terms of like what i think of when i think of like formative things but going back and watching them i mean voltron is unwatchable oh Uh, yeah thundercats at least i I, you know has some stories to it 
but Voltron is two totally disparate shows <laughs> mashed together to make one thing and yeah. just doesn't I don't even I don't know how we watched it. I mean Thund- Thundercats I get a little bit, but there were definitely <laughs> just just production problems, obviously, like in some places where they just cheaped out a lot of, on a lot of that stuff. But yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's another way that Gargoyles just stands out as superior in a lot of ways to the to that formative stuff that I think of from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, definitely. In that first season, it has some moments where you're like, is this character on model? But <laughs> after that, they really smooth it out. Like, again, watching like a castle siege. And every character is still proportional and on model and moving uniform, like and moving like uniquely, right? And it's like, wow, somebody animated all of this and they actually put the time and the effort to do it right. And it looks just fine, you know? Yeah, the Disney animator, I mean, there were like four animation studios, I think, involved in making season two. And you could definitely see the style change a little bit um, definitely yeah. between between episodes and in fact like the biggest probably the most noticeable thing and i haven't talked to my cast although they have noticed it but i don't think they understand like why they're noticing it but a lot of the sort of uh disney school of animation is on the ones in a lot of cases right so it's you get a full 24 frames of animation right whereas the classic kind of american style from animation that time is on the twos so you're only getting uh half of the so 12 12 frames of motion on there and it looks different people think yeah. it's like oh it moves they move too much is usually how people describe it yeah it's and, like too uh, fluid yeah yeah and it, you know it's like if you go back and watch ducktales or if you watch uh i always think of the gummy bears when i think of this that animation style like on the ones is like super apparent in those and and to a lot of people it's a sign of quality right because it's associated with right. disney but it also will, will stick out pretty much. It's kind of the same thing well, that like the when the Hobbit came out and they did something weird with their frame counts and yeah, it's, freaked everybody it's out. Rotoscope, so it's like, um, oh, you mean which which Hobbit do you mean? Uh, you mean Peter, the, Jackson uh, Peter Jackson Hobbit. Yeah, so the yeah, Peter yeah, Jackson yeah. Hobbit is uh, thirty frames per. No, it's like more than that. It's yeah, like, it's extra frames. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so like forty five or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that that makes it look like video. So it looks like a, like, it looks like a Mexican soap opera. <laughs> and people were like, I signed up to, to see a movie. And like, people couldn't quite say what it was. It was like, this doesn't look right. And it's like, because it doesn't look like film film because it, it's shorter. The frames, uh, there's fewer frames, um, feels like dreamlike. It feels not yeah. real. Um, when you do something that fast, it looks like video because that's what video was meant to do. You know, uh, video, the way that video interlaces, it makes it look a lot more fluid. So it's the difference between, you know, watching watching your character uh, do something and watching your character do something at the Country Music Awards. You know, it's just like, it just feels <laughs> different. It feels like you're watching something else. Yeah, I remember taking my wife to see The Hobbit and my explanation of the science did not make her feel any better about <laughs> seeing the show. So. Well, I mean, The Hobbit is a great example of like why just having this technology doesn't mean that you should use it. Right. Um, yeah. Or that it's actually going to improve the experience. And, you know, maybe in the future, people will go back and be like, ah, yes, this was this was a good idea. And it turned out that it opened the door for lots of things. But definitely for us as an audience, as The Hobbit was coming out, 
I think lots of people were like, why does it look like this? Like, is this a trailer for a TV show of The Hobbit? Because <laughs> again, it looks like video. Really good video, but it looks like video because it's so fast. Yeah. I, I think in the future, people will probably be like, I don't want to watch The Hobbit for a bunch of other reasons. <laughs> that, yeah. But, yeah. So we've gotten far afield, uh, which probably means it's time to wrap up. Any last words on, on Gargoyles, Rodrigo? Any last words on Gargoyles? Um, yeah, I think that uh, Gargoyles is kind of what happens when a weird concept gets greenlit and it's uh, the people behind it are given enough leeway. You know, and again, I, you know, recently Steven Universe ended. I think Steven Universe was really good. And also, uh, clearly they struggled against the uh, Cartoon Network bureaucracy, but mm -hmm. they were able to get most of the stuff they wanted on screen. Um, and I think Gargoyles is a great example of American animation going for it and just really turning out a good product that stands the test of time that people can watch now and be like, why are cell phones so big? But also, um, this show's pretty good. And I think that's, that's what happens when you allow a creative team that latitude to kind of do what they want, and you also give them enough time, like, you know, whatever, like 45 episodes, to establish a, um, a mythology and establish their characters and then start doing variations on those themes. One last question. You obviously uh, have creative stuff going on. Uh, I hope the guys at Major Spoilers are not uh, holding you back in any way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what's, what's coming up for you? Uh, well, uh, mostly as far as creative endeavors, I'm still involved with Critical Hit. The Void Saga, which is the storyline that I just wrapped up, uh, is, was just that. A super long storyline. Uh, but the Critical Hit podcast continues. I am still in it, except now I get to be a player. So I get to spend my Wednesdays uh, doing just kind of looking over my character sheet and doing literally anything else uh, instead of stressing out about uh, whether the combat is going to obliterate the players or whether the players are going to obliterate the combat. So um, that's mainly where you're going to find my creative stuff other than, you know, add Fearsome Critter on Twitter where I might just decide like for example to create an entire D&D setting based on how many likes my original post gets that's up there too that was it's one of my favorite things <laughs> about twitter that ever happened <laughs> that was great it, it was fun i uh i was coming out of a kind of like an illness period so i had some time and uh probably needed the interaction um, but yeah, I think it got to be about 300 ish posts. Yeah. Um, and I, every once in a while I still get likes on it, but I'm like, uh, just maybe let those <laughs> accumulate before I go back to this project. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Rodrigo. And, um, we can't wait to see what's next. And, um, hopefully you'll have a chance to watch the rest of Gargoyles. Um, uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll, we'll try and if you do, uh, and you want to come back and talk to us, feel free to reach out have one of these again. That sounds great. Thanks for having me.